0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. What we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we've been seeing how the Holy Spirit formed and shaped that first church, the first uh, expression of the church Um, through the disciples, and really through everyone who claimed Jesus. And we'll hear more about what that means here in a minute. Um, But we're calling the series Hearts Reunited, and what's going to happen this morning is we're going to talk about missional community. There's a really key verse that we've been looking at in Acts 2.42. And towards the end of this passage... In 2.47, we hear that because these believers in Jesus had everything together in common and the Holy Spirit was moving within their community, we read this in verse 47, that they began praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who who are being saved, so really, what we're witnessing here in the book of Acts written by Luke is the formation of missional community missional community it's buzzword in the evangelical church and we're going to have an opportunity to practice being missional community here in a moment as as a church as a congregation, but we're going to get after what does that mean to be missional community, to be together in purpose and to be together in vision, and our lives really, all of us being intersected by Jesus. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, One way that we get to do that is we get to be the church to those, um, I read a really good thing the other day that said that loving your neighbor comes without condition, and Sharing in the sufferings of others comes like without condition. It's just something we get to do as the church of Jesus. And so, no doubt, like me, most of you have seen just the chaotic nature of what our world has been in in the past year, year and a half. Specifically, in the last month, in places like Haiti and Afghanistan, we've seen just utter confusion and utter chaos and I don't know about you but my heart within me I just I hear the Lord saying well what will you contribute how 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 does a Christian respond when we see suffering in the world how do we respond when we see suffering in the world and so part of that um, response includes our our time Our resources, our money, a listening ear perhaps, our clothing, our vegetables, our donuts, you know, that's part of what it means to be a Christian is that we respond to suffering that is going on in our world. And so over the course of the last week, I reached out to several different organizations here in Cleveland, the big one being Building Hope in the City. And the director of Building Hope in the City, Brian Upton, is a dear friend of mine. Over the years, we partnered in different initiatives uh, with refugees and responding to um, the influx of refugees here in Cleveland, and they... um, they are blessed to have many lawyers working with them to acquire special visas for Afghani refugees, and um, they set this goal out to raise, I mean, it's like thousands of dollars. So the price tag on each legal filing for every person is like $700 per person to apply for this legal filing for a special visa to come to the United States. And many of these people who Building Hope in the City are working with, many of them are brothers and sisters, are believers, are people who are already immigrated to the United States but have family still in Afghanistan. You guys, don't listen to the sound bites that you hear on the news. Terrorists are not in influx in our country right now. These are people who are fleeing uh, an evil regime in Afghanistan and who need help, who need settled. Don't listen to the sound bites. I want to challenge you to dig deeper into what's actually happening in our world right now. And what's actually happening is that we have brothers and sisters who need help and who need a safe place to land, specifically women, specifically children. And so I thought, how can Vineyard Cleveland respond to the suffering that's happening in our world? And so as I thought about it, there's there an event yesterday that I, that I went to where there's um, a, a group of refugees who started up an Afghan restaurant uh, on the east side, and I went over there and had some yummy food and supported the the restaurant tours as it were And it was a wonderful beef kebab. I mean you guys the beef was just amazing I mean the spice is just perfect. That's one way that I said hey, I can help out. I can support these guys another way that we can use one voice is that we can give and so I want to ask this morning. I know it's another thing, like, oh, the church is after your money. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here in this offering that we're about ready to take is all of this money is going directly to Building Hope in the City, and it's going to special visas fil- filings. And Brian at Building Hope in the City was so gracious with me, and he said, hey, we're going to keep it open for you guys because the. Um, The the offering lasted until Friday, and I was like, ah, well, we meet on Sundays, and Brian said, I'll keep it open for you guys. You guys can give, and I said, thank you so much, because I know, like me, you guys are asking the same questions. How can we bring heavenly solution to earthly problems? How can we bring um, alleviation to suffering of hurting hearts? And so we're going to give. And I want to ask you guys to give generously, to give above and beyond your normal tithe, and um, to to give. Uh, if you're writing a check, you write it to Vineyard Cleveland. We process it in the memo. You write "special offering." I want to keep it semi-anonymous there, but you just write "special offering." Um, in the memo line, and we 're going to give with one voice we 're going to pray over brothers and sisters and it 's not going to stop here and so, after we process the give, that will be given to directly all of it to building hope in the city tomorrow um, at we're <laughs> Sharon and I are, are going to work hard tomorrow morning really expeditiously to get that thing over to building hope in the city, because as you know, time is of the essence. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy, I'd be amiss not to pray for families of U.S. soldiers who lost their lives the other day in Kabul, and, and also those who are Afghani allies who have worked with the United States over the past 20 years who are trying to find a way out and can't. You know, so we're going to pray, and we're going to give as well. And after we give, um, I'm working with Brian and Eileen Wilson at the Hope Center, and also um, us together, and refugee response to try to find some connection to, um, right, f- faces to the money, right, and how those two connect um, after we've given, after we've given checks, right, then down the road, how, how can we come alongside of folks who are settling in Cleveland, whether that means to, to sign up as an ESL tutor, or a tutor for refugee kids, Afghani refugee kids, or whether that just means coming alongside in some way at the Hope Center to sit down with an Afghani refugee who has no framework for life in the United States and say, hey, that thing that you got in the mail, you didn't really win ten thousand dollars. Like it's it's a scam. Like don't write back to that. To other things like, how do I get a driver's license? You know, like really, really simple, basic building blocks of life in our society. How do I get a library card? You know, these things that can be so valuable for folks who are just getting settled into life in our society and learning how to contribute and be a part of um, American life. And so let's pray. Let's pray for our world. It's never a bad thing to just pray for our world that is in chaos, that is in flux right now. Never a bad thing. And then later on today, uh, a hurricane rolling through Louisiana, we're told. You know, it's going to happen at about one o'clock. That storm is going to slam into New Orleans. And you just wonder, Lord, let you," you just, all we can pray is, Lord, let your kingdom come And let your will be done. And use my heart and my hands to usher in the kingdom of God. And we'll talk more about this here and what that looks like later. But, you know, when we don't know what to do, we pray. And that's what it means to be Christians. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So would you pray with me? And Mike's going to come forward. And we're going to receive the offering specifically for Afghanis. And I just just thought in my prayers this week... um, Really quickly, I said, said, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great if Vineyard Cleveland was responsible, if we were responsible for getting one vulnerable, at-risk Afghani woman out of the country before the Taliban just completely seizes power? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful if Vineyard Cleveland could be responsible for saving just one life, just one? So Holy Spirit, come. We just we quote Jesus the old hymn that was written so long ago and we say, This is my Father's world. We say in faith that because of your death and resurrection, Jesus, that this world is headed towards you, and though it doesn't look like it right now, and though it doesn't feel like it right now. We just we we say, as you taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your reign and your rule settle here, Lord. Bring peace to your world. Bring the shalom of Jesus, Father. Wholeness to broken lives and broken families. Let this offering, let it be an expression of our hearts to see your world restored, to see wrong things made right, Bumpy places made smooth, make way, prepare the way of the Lord. I pray peace for for the families of the the Marines who lost their lives the other day. Would you bring them comfort, Holy Spirit? We pray, God, we pray for Saul to Paul moments in Afghanistan that you would turn the hearts of men to you, Father. Father. We pray for the church in Afghanistan who remains the remnant. We pray courage and we pray boldness. That they would speak the name of Jesus without fear. We pray for women and kids who have known just such a level of freedom in the last 20 years. We pray for courage in them and protection over their lives. And I pray, Jesus, just with all the stuff that's happening with the Haiti earthquake and Tennessee and flooding and New Orleans and the hurricane today, Lord, would you have mercy? Lord, have mercy on us. You know what you're doing. We trust, God, that you have a plan and you have the whole world in your hands. We trust you, Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray, and we give in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys, Mike and Rita are going to come and collect and, and receive an offering, and we, it's not going to end here. We will follow up, and we will let you know what collectively Vineyard Cleveland has given, and the next steps, if you if your heart is wanting to see more done, um, uh, then, then simply write a check, and we are grateful, um, but if you Long for just something more and that. We'll provide some next steps about how you can get involved there as well. So this is part of it. This is part of being missional community and the Lord regathering our hearts. The Lord regathering our hearts. And primarily we're going to be in Acts 13, 1 through four. So if you had your Bible or your Bible app and you wanted to turn and swipe there with me, you're welcome to do so. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles here on either side of the stage. You're welcome to pick one up. It's our gift for you. But I wanted to check out Acts 13, 1 through 4, and on the surface, it could seem like just names and just meaningless, but we know that every scripture is God-breathed, and every scripture is useful for teaching and useful in our lives to change our lives, and so My hope this morning is that we get this thing as a community that we wrap our heads and our hearts and continue to be encouraged about this thing of the church on mission, the church being missional community together. And a lot of this stuff, as you know, I'm not a plagiarist, but I know where to get good stuff. And so I have very little of my own material here this morning. This is coming from the Word of God and also a really dear friend of mine in Columbus, um, Eric and Julia Pickerel, who are now the senior pastors down at Vineyard Columbus um, and who officiated Sarah and I's wedding 18 years ago. Um, This is just really, really great, solid stuff, and some of the stuff is going to be her voice inserted into the teaching. So it's just been amazing for me to soak in that teaching this week, and I wanted to share that with you. I wanted to share that with you. So in Acts 13, 1 through 4, we read this. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Let's stop there. And Saul. Now, as we read the first verse of this passage, there should be a couple of questions that start to surface in your mind, specifically with that last name that we read, and Saul. And the first question that you might want to ask yourself is, wait a second, is this the same Saul that we read about earlier in the passage? And it is. This is the same Saul who stood by and watched as Stephen became the first martyr of the church. This is the same Saul who went house to house persecuting. Persecuting Christians, those who followed the name of Jesus, those who were this fledgling church, this is the same Saul who hunted down Christians. So the first question that you should ask, knowing this, is what in the heck happened to Saul? And after you ask that question, a second question might pop up in your mind. And the second question is, if this guy gets to be on the team, if this guy belongs, who else gets to be on team? Who else gets to be a part of the mission of Jesus on the earth? If Saul gets in, if Saul gets in, Who else gets in? Who else gets in on this? Well, the answer to the first question is that Saul was intercepted by Jesus. Saul got intercepted by God. The road to Damascus changed Saul's life so dramatically so that his name was changed. Later on in the narrative. Saul had his life intercepted by God. Intercepted by God. And after we ask these two fundamental questions, this verse, this opening verse lends itself so well to what is so core here at Vineyard Cleveland and throughout the Vineyard movement. And no doubt if you've been here engaging for any length of time, you've heard this phrase that the vineyard, I would argue, is built upon, that the vineyard movement is built upon. And we started hearing it, Sarah and I started hearing it when we began to plug in at Vineyard Columbus, you know, some, what, 20, maybe 30 years ago for Sarah, like 20 years ago, and we'd hear it all of the time. Whenever we got around Vineyard Columbus, we'd hear this phrase, and it's attributed to John Wimber, and John Wimber was the, this, like, he, he, like, founded the movement out in California in the late 70s, and the phrase is that everyone gets to play. And you'll hear more about that as we go into a Vision and values series here in October, but every and the Vineyard, we believe and we practice that everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play, and we're going to see that through the course of this narrative and how that aspect is so key to missional community, to being the church and what the Lord is forming in the early church, here in the, in the pages of Scripture, and what the Lord is forming in us in these times now. God is on the move. He's forming us to be a missional community where everyone gets to play, and we mean it. We mean it. How many of you through the course of elementary school, I don't know if they do this anymore, they probably don't do this anymore, or middle school, are familiar with dodgeball? Any dodgeball fans? Who knows dodgeball? And they pick teams, yes? And how many of you are familiar with being the last one picked, whether it's for dodgeball or for whatever? How many of you are familiar with being the last one picked and how that feels, And what they would do is they would line up all the athletic kids, right? Because they would be like, hey, I'm a captain and you're a captain and I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up all of the athletic kids first, so they're on my team, to make sure we win, and then all of you others who are last picked are on this other team, and basically what it turned into was a firing squad. I mean, let's be honest. And here we are, you know, on the line, we're backing up, backing up, and these big, huge balls are just just flying all over the place and smacking us. How many of you know what it's like to be the last one picked? We're alone at the lunch table again. And what Paul is saying here, and what Wimber founded the vineyard on, is that even Saul gets in. It's not the fancy preacher with too much hairspray. Thankfully, I don't have to worry about that. It's not the popular always or the privileged because in the world that's the way of the world it is the people who are the fancy preachers or orators it is the popular people it's the privileged people who get to play and what paul is is communicating here or through the story of paul what luke rather is communicating in the scripture is that not not so in the church not with jesus in the church in this body of people everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play because their lives have been upended and intercepted by this person named Jesus. Now, as we read through the the passage, we read now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then we get to the really, really interesting stuff, right? The list of names. And that's what you'll see. The Bible is full of lists of names. And you may be tempted to skip over those parts, but if you don't know your place in this church, in our church, or just in the kingdom in general, I want to encourage you to dig into the boring parts of the Bible where they list out names. Because somewhere along the line, you will find your name inserted in those lists. And you'll feel like, oh my gosh, I fit, I belong. Because the Bible is not a story of great, People, famous people doing famous things. It's the story about God's love coming to the most insignificant place at the most insignificant time, and normal everyday people saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to God. That's the story of the Bible. And so, as you insert your name into this list, my name into this list, we should see this key value that everyone gets to play. There were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Barnabas, a Jewish man, Simeon called Niger, a black African, Lucius of Cyrene, another North African man, Manan, here's a good one, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, well, who's Herod the Tetrarch? Well, Herod the Tetrarch is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. And we're told that Menaean grew up with this guy. So whether he was a stepbrother or whether he was just a companion of Herod the Tetrarch, he grew up in privilege. So what we're seeing here, right in the pages of Scripture, in a list of names, is that, one, what we already know and what we've already been speaking about here just for the past, you know, however long forever, is that this is a multi-ethnic group of people who's coming together for no other reason that their lives have been intersected by Jesus, and they have no business being in the same place together, and yet they are. These are people who have radically different lives from one another, radically different lives from one another. You've got people coming from North Africa. You've got people coming from Greece. You've got people who are Jewish in background. You've got people who are Gentiles calling themselves the church of Jesus, And so what we learn here is that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of story you've been a part of in your past. You have a mission from God. You. Now this might be a little bit unsettling for some of us, as it was for me when I first came to the vineyard. You might come from a church tradition that says it's only the fancy preachers who get to play. It's only the polished and perfect people who get to play. I'm here to tell you that the pages of Scripture tell us different. And at the Vineyard, it can be unsettling because here at our church, we believe that everyone gets to play everyone gets in on this now what it does everyone gets to play what that doesn't mean is that we get everyone does everything or that we get to do the thing that we want but it does mean that everyone gets to play and we say it every time we go through we move through life track is that every one of us is a minister yes everyone is a pastor You say, how dare you put that title on me? It's true. You all have influence somewhere. Why? Because we want our lives to have meaning and purpose. And everyone is a 10 in some area. There is some area that you bring life to those around you that I could not even come close to. Let me give you an example. And... I, you know, I, I love giving really practical examples of how you all are engaging in missional community right now in your everyday, ordinary lives. And last Sunday, after the live stream ended, I told the story of Leo and Laura and their cucumbers. Well, today, the story is of Angela and Evan and their donuts, and they're like, stop calling us out, and we know your hearts. We love you guys, and you're not doing this for any mention or anything like that. But this is just such a perfect example. I just had to share it, with their permission, of course. So here's who the Hammersmiths are. If you don't know the Hammersmiths, you should really be wanting to know them. Why? Because if you get to know the Hammersmiths, you will get fed. If you're like, I come to this church every week. I don't know what it is about the preaching. I'm just not getting fed. Go over to Evan and Angela's house. They will feed you real food, and it's going to be delicious. So just that. Um they're really wonderful chefs, cooks, bakers, everything. Um and so over the course of the past couple of months, um Evan and Angela get it in their heads like, "Hey, what if we just they live in Lakewood. Hey, what if we just made some donuts and then sold some donuts outside of our house? What would that be like? That could build some community. That could be good." And so they get together and say, yeah, I think, I think we could do this. We could make some really tasty, yummy donuts. I'm, I'm making you want donuts right now. right? <laughs> we could make some really tasty donuts and just set up shop out in front of our house and, you know, make some donuts and, and connect with our neighbors, and it would be wonderful. And so they did it. They did it, a, uh, what, last Saturday, Saturday before? And it was wonderful. And the whole community, they, they even had people who found out, about, found out about it on social media real quick and were there like within 20 minutes because they were like, donuts? Where? Okay, I'm there. And so just random people, right? And they're feeding them this lovely food. And no doubt, they weren't like... Um, accepting all these people who are paying customers for donuts and preaching Jesus at these people and thumping their Bibles around. No, but there's something about their hearts and about your hearts and my heart when people get around you who don't carry Christ, who sense Jesus in your spirit. There's an intuition about that stuff, yes? Even for the most heady person, who's not too feely or whatever, you carry the presence of Jesus. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, And so they sell these donuts to all these people and then what do they do? They turn around and take all the profits and they give it to the food pantry. And so then those people who line up in lines on Saturdays and on Tuesday nights get to experience food for them. Do you see how that works? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it, because that is a perfect example of missional community. They're taking something. It's not this like, oh, uh, I got to go door to door and talk to people about Jesus or hang door flyers or whatever it is that, it, you know, this obligatory thing. It's just, it's just a couple of people who love to provide good food for people, and that being a passion in their own lives, and their own hearts, and saying, how can I use this to bring life to other people? And seeing all the different ways that you guys are doing that right now is so encouraging for me as your pastor. It's so encouraging to me to want to press out my faith more and say, what does it look like? What mission do you have for me, God? If you can use Saul, the murderer, to be the leader of a team in the early church... You can use me, too. There's a mission for me. And that's what the donut story should communicate to you, that God has a mission for you. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. You are on on a mission. Paul writes this in Romans 8.15. I love this. This is what the gospel is. Here, check it out. This is the message version, Romans 8.15. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. Paul writes it like this in Corinthians. He says, is, is that anyone... Anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Anyone, everyone gets to play. So it doesn't matter if you're 18 or you're 80. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or you're 18. Everybody gets in on this. And that's why uh, a a couple weeks ago, if you guys remember, um, the youth band and I just had such a lovely time worshiping together. And you see a whole lot more these days of middle schoolers and high school kids being involved in what's going on because we love seeing that. Wasn't it amazing to be in the presence of God together in worship with our middle school and high school kids? And they're sick musicians, so there's that. It was really great. Um, And so just a pleasure to play. But we believe that everyone gets to play. Tammy will be the first one to tell you that in K-5 with our middle school and high school kids, there is no junior Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's the same Spirit that resides in us. There is no junior Holy Spirit everybody gets to play. And while you'll see him again on September 12th and Grandparents Day, the legacy of faith honoring people from 80 to 18, that's part of the deal. That's what it means to be a Christian is that everybody gets to play. We'll hear testimonies next Sunday. Don't go out of town. It's Labor Day. Stay for testimonies. You'll hear the church. Several people will be sharing these three to five minute testimonies of how God is shaping their lives. And there'll be no preaching, but what you will hear is the word of God preached through them and through their lives. We're saying that everybody gets to play, and our lives have been intercepted by Jesus. He's changing our lives, and when a community grabs hold of that and gets on mission, that it's not just coming to church, it's not just coming to church, but that God has a mission for you, and you start to reflect on that, and you start to act on that, that it's utterly transformative. So what does it mean? What are the components of missional community? There's this thing here at the Vineyard that we love to do, and we've just been enjoying this journey over the, I don't know, over the past five years or so, of, um, of contemplation. And what contemplation means is really just a big fancy word for, for reflecting on the care of Christ in your life. Taking time to get away. And we, we see this pattern in the scriptures, in Jesus' life, and definitely in the church's life, there are two components to missional, computer, uh, missional community. And one is contemplation, and the other is action. And we see this pattern, this push-pull of looking in and looking out, right? We get away For just a minute, to be silent before Jesus, to hear his words spoken over our lives, affirming our lives. We ask the Holy Spirit questions. We we quiet our hearts. Some of you who are familiar with Ignatian spirituality or... Um, the meditative, reflective Christian life are already familiar with some of these concepts of this push-pull aspect, and then it can't stay there, right? The gospel that you carry, it's not just for you. The presence of Jesus is not just for you. You get away and you hear, as Jesus did, from your father, and then you push out and you express amongst your family, amongst your neighbors, amongst your community, and so if it were my ideal church, the, the people I want to do church with are people who understand this rhythm of moving backwards into times of silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and hearing from the Lord and then pushing out into the community and bringing life to the city. This rhythm that we see, this is what it looks like in verses 2 and 3 in Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, there it is, You see it? Contemplation. Where they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, here it is again, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Do you see the push-pull there that's happening in the scripture of getting away, praying, fasting, hearing from God, and then the gospel just not staying there? but needing to express itself and get out into real life, into the lab of life, and express itself through bringing life to the city. Contemplation and action. It would be my ideal if Vineyard Cleveland were full of both contemplatives and activists, and that those two would overlap with one another so seamlessly, that we'd be filled with both contemplatives and activists, and those would be overlapped. You know, a lot of times I brag on my dear friends who are in the room this morning and who are also in their 70s. And I sit back and I marvel at their lives in their mid to late 70s and say there's something about these dudes that I need to pick up because they serve so faithfully at Seeds of Hope Food Pantry. Like every Saturday they're there. And it's not like a new thing. They've been doing this for like 40 years. And something in my mind is saying, it's got to be more than willpower. It's got to be more than like, I'm just gonna show people that I show up. That's not what it's about. And as I'm reading this week, the Lord revealed to me, it's like this is what's happening in their lives. There's this sense of the practice of the presence of God, of slipping away for a moment, of being away with God and being filled by him to fuel What's happening on the outward? Because without that, one or the other is going to blow up in our church. If you're not taking time, and I, and I hear you, you're like, I've got five loads of laundry at home. We're all busy. I know it. I want to I ask you to consider the question, not what, what do you value, but what does your schedule look like over the past two weeks? Are you taking time to get away? And just hearing from the Lord and resting as Sarah and Tammy brought this morning just to rest in His presence. And likewise, does your schedule dictate that you're expressing what you've received in the secret? Are you expressing that in real life? Because the truth of it is this, is that we cannot, we can't serve what we don't have. We, uh, You can't It's true, you only give away what you don't naturally possess. Because it's not in us naturally. It's not our default to be like, I want to help people. Other people are awesome. No, our natural default is like, what's in it for me? (laughs) So it's this weird paradox. Like We give away the thing that we don't naturally possess, but we can't give away anything if we're not already cooking it at home. You can't serve what you're not cooking. And I want to brag on you guys so much. So many of you are doing wonderful things right now, both in the areas of the contemplative and in the areas of action. And if, it, if I had my way, if the Spirit had His way, let's just say it like that, if the Spirit had His way in our church, those two categories of contemplatives and activists would overlap seamlessly And there be good brought for from both of those, being and doing, contemplative and action. Yeah. Okay, so to finish up here, what is missional community not? We've explained what it is. What is it not? What is it not? Well, Julia Pickrell has this really great picture of how she views what missional community is, and it's so funny because it's where I've been living, too, and almost the exact same picture that I had. Um, do, you remember, do you remember the movie Shrek? And when Shrek is trying to convince Donkey why, like, no one should hang out with him because he's an ogre, he's like, yeah, grab your torch and pitchfork. I'm that kind of guy, right? And a lot of times, what the evangelical church has viewed as efficient missional life or missional community is exactly that. It's like this big bad ogre of the world, and we're going to grab our torches and pitchforks and go conquer the world for God. I'm here to tell you this morning, the world does not need more torches and that there are many other ways to start a fire. There's this really amazing show that me and my kids like to watch. It's called Alone, do you know about it? Do you know, it's on the History Channel. And the story is about how they just drop these people off without any camera crew or whatever, in like the middle of nowhere, somewhere like super far remote. I'm not talking remote like Oberlin, like Mongolia or like the Arctic Circle, like that remote. And they just drop them off there, and the goal is survival, right? And so one of the main elements of that is fire. And on this one episode of Alone, there's a young woman, and she sets up her campsite, right? And she, and she starts a fire, and she gets everything going. And fire is so amazing, right? Because it provides warmth, it cooks your food, it sanitizes your water. All of these things that fire is really, really great for, and she realizes soon into it that she has, she has picked the wrong spot to camp out in. The wind is just rushing off of the cliffs, like straight into her campsite. It's really difficult. She's got to have to move her campsite. And so what she, what she does, and I, and I didn't know that you could do this before, is that she takes a, a little wooden like, log that she split, and she, and she ditches a little groove out of the log. And she puts some straw in there and some kindling, some ash at the bottom. And then she, she takes from the fire this little ember. And she drops the ember in the log and then puts some more kindling and some ash on top of it. And then takes another log and puts it on top and binds it together. And then she carries this ember for a mile, for a, a literal mile to the interior. And she opens it up. She brushes away the the kindling and the ash and she takes this ember and she starts a fire at her new campsite a mile away. And I thought, what a perfect picture of missional community. It's not torches and pitchforks. It's the small ember of hope that you carry inside of you that starts fires and passion for Jesus and life in your community. Because each of us, if we claim Jesus this morning, carry an ember of Jesus within us that has changed our lives. And so it's not this pitchfork and torches, Bible-thumping thing where you're going over and you're saying, I'm taking the city for God, let's go. I'm telling you guys, the time for that in our society is over. You'll see in the next five to ten years, it just won't last. It's not bringing life. But listening, humble, gentle servants who don't have all the answers, who are willing to listen and come alongside of people and step back and reflect and invite others into silence and solitude in this life with Jesus and then express their lives transformed by Jesus, that is the future of missional community. It's not torches. The world doesn't need any more torches. What we need are small embers of hope that we carry. And it's got this imagery of Isaiah, right? Where the prophet Isaiah says, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. And so this picture of missional community is like carrying this little ember, bringing your cucumbers. (laughs) Making your donuts, spending two hours with our kids on a Sunday, bringing life in that way. This picture of missional communities carrying this little ember of hope to people who don't yet have fire. And how transformative that is to the other person of just carrying your little ember of hope humbly. Relying on Jesus. That's what missional community is all about, is sharing the thing that you love. Sharing life with others. Originally, when Jason and Ben and I sat down and talked about uh, this talk specifically months ago, um, it was like, well, there's there's such this vibe of evangelism, evangelism, evangelism in Acts. But I'm just so tired of that word it feels forced, it feels um, one-sided, it feels heavy. But when we simply share what we love with other people, when we carry a little ember of hope to folks who need to catch fire, that feels life-giving, that feels transformative, that my life means something because I've been transformed by Jesus. That's what it means to be missional community.